listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 240. How's it going, Mark? We're putting out two episodes a week apart. <laughs> so audience, we're getting better. This is baby steps. But everything's going good. Speaking of going good, we got a review slash question here. This is actually from Veronica. All the guests this week, podcast, energy, education, the young ones, five-star review. Hi, Paige and Mark. I work for AAPL Credit Undergraduate Energy Management Program at Western Colorado University. I began listening to your podcast when I took this position, and it has helped me drastically in regards to my understanding of the industry. In order to get more youth in our industry, I have to know what's going on, and this is my go-to podcast. Awesome. Yeah, you've consistently mentioned that the needs for individuals to get out, talk to their neighbors, their families, the mailmans, et cetera, in order to help others understand our industry. And I agree, this is unbelievably important. And we're going to stop the review right there because she goes on to a question that we're going to actually move over to First Friday Q&A. So if you want to hear the rest of what Veronica is talking about, just tune stay in tuned next time. and it will be on the First Friday Q&A, which is right around the corner. All right. So let's get into the news stories, Mark. First one is oil tankers seized in Gulf of Oman ordered to sail to Iran. Yeah, this is that thing that's going on in the Middle East with Iran. And Iran, you got to quit doing stuff like this. And so when this first happened, they had four tankers. And let me actually, let me stop for a second. When I say tanker, I'm not sure what you're picturing in your head. Imagine the largest vessel you've ever seen on the ocean and then make it four times longer. So these things are three or four football fields long, millions of tons of displacement. And so one of the things about a vessel this big is that if it falls under uh, hostile control, it is a weapon. It will take out bridges. I guess so. Piers, <laughs> other warships. Yeah. You know, so we got to be real careful. This. And so what happened here, and if you don't know what bitumen is, bitumen is what you make asphalt with. So asphalt is bitumen plus gravel and sand, just like concrete is cement plus gravel and sand. So bitumen is the part that binds everything together. So anyway. The Royal Navy had to get involved in this. Basically, Iran's military is saying they didn't do anything. And, of course, the ship that was taken over that was seized saying, hell, yeah, you did something. You seized this ship in order to bring it back to port in Iran. And at the same time, they had four other vessels that basically went off the mic. So all of these vessels, and actually all the vessels around the world, have a transponder. It's constantly transmitting just a little bit of vital information, the name of the ship, its location, and its port of origin. And what happens is if you're a bad guy and you take over a ship, you cut that off so the good guys don't know what you're doing. So at the point that this ship was hijacked, they had three other super tankers in the Gulf that also went off off mic that they killed the transponders on. And so two of those vessels came back. The UK is still investigating this. But geopolitically, Iran, you got to stop doing stuff like this. And I do love the fact that they, they talked a bunch of big talk, like they're saying that we did this, we as in the Western world, did this on purpose as a way to be able to foster military actions against Iran. And they said that if, if any military action comes to this, they're going to respond ferociously. Iran, you don't have anything left. <laughs> you can't respond ferociously. I wish I could see me rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> to anything. But this is that constant little stuff that goes on in the Middle East that really during this time in 2021 just needs to stop. Can we just get our industry back to where it needs to be? Not that I'm saying that once we're back to it, it needs to be, it's okay for you to hijack vessels, but 
you know, this is this isn't the, the right thing to do. And then once again, you know, the UK's navy stormed in there and fixed this, and and somebody's navy is going to storm in and fix this every time this happens. So, and then you know, a moment of silence. Unfortunately, Paige, two people lost their lives yeah. in this hijacking. All right. So what's next? U.S. airports are facing serious jet fuel shortages. So this is cool. Do you know why they're facing jet fuel shortages, Paige? Well, I, I would assume it's because we're out of the glut. That's what everybody Well, so a lot of people says there's no jet fuel. Yeah. No, they can't hire enough truck drivers to move the jet fuel. Well, you know, if we had all these extra pipelines. <laughs> right. Congress, are you listening? So it's really interesting. And we're seeing this. You know, I'm a fan of Starbucks. And you know that for about, I don't know, six weeks, I couldn't get Splenda, any Starbucks here in Texas, not because Starbucks supply chain couldn't get the Splenda. There was nobody available to package it. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? And this is what's going on here. And this is all repercussions of what's happened during the global lockdown while things are starting to pick back up, especially here in the U.S. There's literally not enough truck drivers to deliver jet fuel to the airports. And some of these airliners were having to make unscheduled stops just to fill up. Imagine if you were driving from Houston to Dallas, but the only place you could get gasoline was Austin. Hmm. How out of the way would it be for you to go to Austin to get to Dallas? But that's what some of these airlines are doing. They're having to fly out of the way to find airports that have fuel, especially grade A jet fuel, so they can they can fill back up. This is gonna be a temporary problem, but it's it's the sign of things to come. You know, our labor market's highly constrained right now in, in the industry, and the industry's coming back and and we need people. And if we can't hire people, we're gonna have more of this sort of stuff going on. The other thing I think is really cool is that this shows the sign of the recovery. So there would not be a demand for jet fuel if people weren't flying. And since we're plugged in with United, one of our sponsors, big shout out to them. If you don't fly United, you should you should fly United. Okay, commercial over. But one of the cool things about being plugged in with United is I get to see behind the scenes. And so one of the things that's happened is leisure travel has come back with a vengeance. Everybody's tired in the world of being locked down. And so leisure travel is way above what it normally is. However, business travel hasn't come back yet. So if we're having jet fuel problems now, and we haven't hit the full rebirth of the business travel. If we don't get measures in place, if we can't hire enough truck drivers, that jet fuel shortage could continue. You know what that means? Prices go up. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if you're buying tickets now, they're still relatively cheap. If you're if you know for sure that you're flying somewhere in the future, buy your ticket today. No kidding. Okay, so the next one is fire at Tesla's mega battery finally extinguished after four days of burning. Yeah, so this is actually a really good article on what happens when a lithium ion battery catches on fire. And people may not know this, lithium ion is the byproduct of the original lithium batteries catching on fire. So originally it was just lithium, not lithium ion. Mm -hmm. But they caught on fire so frequently they had to make them safer. So they they added the ion part to it to make it less likely to, to set itself on fire because of the heat. Oh, that's why they don't let you pack that in your luggage in your on luggage. flights. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And so what happens is this, these battery packs, if you know what a C-can is, or or if you think about when you're on the road and you see the diesel trucks driving those square steel boxes, that's called a C-can. These battery packs are about the size of a C-can. And what happened is the first battery pack caught on fire. And by the way, they were testing. And, and one of the reasons they test to Tesla's credit is they want to know if these things are catching right. fire before it goes out to public. So they're doing the right thing. It's quality control. So one of the batteries caught on fire. It spread to the second battery. It then took four days and I think 75 tons of water to put this fire out. Now, this wasn't they came and doused it with water, a whole bunch of water one time, and it went out. Literally 24 hours a day for four days, they dumped water on this flame until they were able to put it out. Wow. 
And the problem with lithium ion when it catches on fire is the byproducts of the combustion are toxic, toxic yeah. to human, toxic to people. So the the smoke that's emitted is mixed with a lot of gas that is that is toxic, that's dangerous. And so, you know, this is one of those things that people don't think of. And and you know, we have an ESG podcast for a reason. So when I say you know, this ESG push is causing this sort of thing. I'm not saying it in a negative way. It is just a simple byproduct of where where our civilizations, where our countries are going with this ESG bus push is we're going to have more of this type of thing happen, which means we need to be better prepared for it. So, you know, the ability to put out a large-scale lithium-ion fire for most fire departments wasn't something they had to deal with. Now it's something that the fire departments around the country and around the world you have to learn how to deal with. Okay, so the next article is Pirates Plague Mexico's Offshore Oil Platforms. Which makes me uneasy. I have family that work out there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this is the Bay of Campeche. A lot of oil and gas activity goes on there. I think it's on the southern side of the Gulf of, of Mexico. And the incidents of pirates that got to the point that the Mexican Navy had to get involved. And the reason the Mexican Navy got involved, because the U.S. said, if you don't take care of this, we will. And so, they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is serious stuff. So, you know, like your dad, your dad works in that part of the world, Right. There's a lot of people that work in that part of the world that aren't Mexican, that aren't you know local citizens or expats from around the world. And what happens, these pirates are basically capturing vessels and people for extortion. So they'll capture a crew, and they call it credit card kidnapping. And they hold this crew until somebody back in the U.S. or Europe, wherever, pays the ransom on a credit card, or lately it's been blockchain. I'm sorry, not blockchain, cryptocurrency. And then they let the people go. The problem is it's always not incident-free. Some of these people get hurt. Unfortunately, there's been some deaths out there. And so you can't take a chance with piracy. You know, we have the women's offshore. You know, it's... it's. I'm actually it, wearing the shirt right you're now. Actually <laughs> wearing the women's offshore. You know, so, so you have a lot of vessels that are subject to... We've talked about this before in the Gulf of Mexico. For the longest time, it never happened here. It happened like around Africa and stuff like that. Well, there's been a few instances in the Caribbean. In the Caribbean, right. And it's creeping into the Gulf of Mexico. And so thieves, they're armed, they're in fast boats, and they go up and they hijack both you know, rigs and, and crew boats and, and anything else they can get, get their hands around. And they all they're doing is they're doing it for a dollar. So we need to do a good job of staying on top of this. Of course, part of this is also driven by the law enforcement in Mexico, maybe not always doing the best job that it can to prevent this sort of stuff before it happens. And once it happens, then the Navy has to get involved. Right. So good thing is, as far as I know, there hasn't been any deaths in, in the Gulf from pirating. There have been some injuries. So, you know, let's just keep an eye on this. As an industry, we just can't let this sort of stuff happening. So if you're doing business in Mexico, if you're an American company, make sure you talk to your contacts over there that this is not acceptable. Make sure they understand that, you know, this type of stuff drives away invest foreign investment dollars. And we can get our hands around this. Yeah. The researchers documented 11 serious security inc- incidents against ships. And that was just. Just the first half of 2020. Yeah, yeah. So that 11 needs to go to zero. Yes. Okay. So next article is top three U.S. refiners set for first profits since pandemic started. I like want to buy a cake or cupcakes for all the big refineries <laughs> out there. The Exxons and the Valeros and the Shell Deer Park refineries, you know, they have literally went through hell. You know, during 2020, there was, a, there was almost no demand for refined goods. But because of the pandemic, they couldn't use that downtime to do planned maintenance. It's still not back to where it needs to be. But, but like we talked about earlier, the demand for jet fuels has went up dramatically. Gasoline diesel has been going up. The demand for petrochemicals are going up. So we're headed back to where we need to be from the refinery part of the business. Now, 
one of the things that I'm slightly worried about is refinery, the refinery business typically is a high volume, low margin business. So you make a little bit of margin over very large amounts of money over very large chunks of time. But now, Paige, the price of both crude and natural gas has gone up dramatically, and that's the refinery's raw feedstock. So now that demand's coming back and they see the light in the tunnel, they can start making money again. All of a sudden, their raw feedstock price is going up, which then is going to hurt their margins. So they're kind of catch-22 position. The more modern refineries here and, and in Europe are going to be fine. The ones I'm worried about are the very old refineries that aren't as efficient. And right now, every penny counts in the downstream part of the business. You know, they're looking at the major refineries. Miners here in the U.S. are looking at about $1.3 billion in combined earnings. That's actually really cool. But this could be a peak, and it could actually go back down if the price of natural gas and crude keep going up, or if this resurgence of the Delta variety of the COVID-19 virus starts clamping down countries and, and travel again. So fingers crossed for the, the refiners. You know, they Like I said, they went through hell, and, and they're just now getting their head above water, and I just hope they're able to keep their head above water for a little while. Okay, so FBI, China is behind past oil and gas pipeline cyber attack. Of course they are. You know what the Chinese government said? You started it. Of course. <laughs> they said they have more U.S. cyber attacks to China than China has cyber attacks to U.S. And when I read that, first I laughed, right? But then I started thinking about it. And, you know, so take out the state-sponsored hackers. Hacking originally started as bright young kids that were bored, and they wanted to do stuff like make free phone calls, right? I can't remember what that was called. It was called Phone something a long time ago. And that was how hacking got started. Oh, I love the movie Hackers. Yeah. Crash and, so, and burn, dude. And so I would not be surprised if there are a bunch of bright, smart young Americans that are bored. They're going, you know what? Let's hack the Chinese and see what happens. So I bet some of that is true. But the state-sponsored stuff that China does is way bigger than any of the state-sponsored stuff that, that we do. And the, what's happening is, and they don't talk about too deep in this article, but it's one of the things I'm, I'm fearful of is the Chinese and the other malicious governments out there that that attack American infrastructure, they're doing it for financial profit, number one, but very close to that, like 1.5, not even number two, is they're practicing. They're learning where our weaknesses are, where our strengths are, how to get around stuff. And that their ability to practice those attacks bothers the hell out of me because that only means they're going to get better and better at it. We talked, I think, last episode about the government wanting to pass some laws for cybersecurity, and I said that we don't need to pass laws, that we that we should have private sector work hand-in-hand -hand with government, and I still 100% believe that. But these attacks that are, have been proven to be state-sponsored by the Chinese, and by the way, when you start talking about state-sponsored attacks, cyber attacks, it's a different level. These are the smartest people in the world with the best equipment in the world, with the best bandwidth. So it's, you know, it's a serious attack. And one of the things that I think this is eventually lead into is, is both here in the U.S. and in Europe, both countries are looking at cyber attacks as a different form of warfare mm -hmm. to the point that a big enough cyber attack, especially on infrastructure, especially critical infrastructure, could be considered an act of war. And so, you know, this sort of stuff, not only does it put people in jeopardy and facilities in jeopardy, but it puts the environment in jeopardy. It's an interesting quandary because as we move forward, we have more and more technology helping us drive more and better and more efficient operations, but all that technology then is more entry points for the bad guys. And so this is not going to stop. It's a, a cat and mouse game, right? We have to stay ahead of the bad guys, far enough ahead of the bad guys that they can't actually do anything horrendous. Now, 
It shows that in 2020, 53% of the malicious cyber attacks coming into the U.S. from outside the country came from China. Hmm. Right. So that's over half of the malicious attacks are actually coming from China. Yeah. So one, well, the U.S. government identified and tracked 23 U.S. natural gas pipeline operators targeted from 2011 to 2013. And so they were actually attacked. That's a, that's right. a big number. And like I said, the bad guys are practicing. And so that, that just bothers the bejeebies. I mean, well, and they go further and it says 13 were confirmed c- compromises, three were near misses, and seven had unknown depth of intrusion. Yeah. That's the scary part. The yes. Unknown depth of intrusion. Exactly. So oil and gas world, we're moving into this, this high tech world. We have no choice. It's better in a lot of ways. And, and we have to learn new skill sets like this in other ways. So uh, we'll definitely keep our eye on this. This is this has actually been a huge topic of interest in a lot of our podcasts. I actually even think that we're doing one of our happy hours around cybersecurity and oil and gas for, for this exact reason. So we'll stay on top of this. You know, and if you remember the, that whole colonial pipeline about a month ago, that cyber attack shut down gasoline supplies to the East Coast. It was more than a month ago, Mark. Okay. Yeah, I think it was like March or something. Yeah, but that shut down gasoline supplies to the East Coast, which then caused a bit of a perception of a shortage right and actually really caused a shortage because everybody was hogging gasoline yeah everybody so, freaked out like a hurricane was coming yep what's next new mexico's permian output rises will a modest shale recovery follow so this is interesting so take out u.s politics and let's just look at cost of doing business and in the permian in that part of new mexico it's actually very inexpensive to get hydrocarbons out of the ground because we have roads, we have pipelines, we have the infrastructure. This is, I think, the third month that New Mexico's outproduced North Dakota. And the reason it's outproduced North Dakota is North Dakota is more expensive because it doesn't have the level of infrastructure, right? So when you look at this, this is a sign of success. So here is some unconventional reservoirs that we've learned how to make money at, at whatever today's price is. And we're, the production's going up, so we, we don't have to import as much foreign oil. However, if you come back and lay the politics back over this, this is a lot of federal land. And this is a lot of federal land that our current administration is trying to stop or suspend drilling on. So you're taking something that is naturally fixing itself and naturally making money. And if you lay politics on top of it, you're you're going to screw it up. It's going to be the opposite. And we saw at the very beginning this year, a whole bunch of operators move facilities right across the New Mexico line to the Texas line because it's not federal land. And so it's, it's a perfect perfect example of how if you let the free market run and you don't put politics on top of it, the market itself will find the hydrocarbons, will get it out the ground as cheap as possible, as environmentally responsible as possible, which then creates jobs for people. And then there's that trickle effect of the jobs where you know now the hotel's busier, so you need to hire more maids. And now the restaurants are busier and all that sort of stuff. And all that can be easily messed up by a single wrong political decision in, in our administration. So I'm hoping this continues. It is really cool to see New Mexico beating North Dakota. I think Well, they sh- struggled there for quite a while. Oh, they did. They, they really did. And, and they're still struggling right. with unfortunate politics. But you know, this is just really cool. It shows you the promise of the American unconventionals, that we have the reserves. We know how to get it out the ground. We know how to do it in a way that we can still make money and keep fuel costs low. Which, speaking of fuel costs low, have you filled up lately? So, let me tell you. I went to the gas station and it cost me 50 bucks. And how much did it cost you last year at this time? I don't remember 30? because I wasn't driving my car. <laughs> I literally... I, I, Got the car at the end of January 2020, and I just put 7,000 miles on it just now. 
So I, I don't even remember. Yeah. So for me, I'm kind of in the same boat. I only can run premium in my car, just like you. But I'm also paying $50 a tank to fill up. And last year, this time, it was about $30. Was it? Up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So not that's, quite half, but a dramatic difference. Yeah. That's Yeah. 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 All right. So the next article is Total Energies announces Amazon partnership. So you and I had this discussion off the mic. So the name of the French company, the super major, is Total. We all know that, right? Even but is it pronounced Total Energies? That I don't know. Somebody, so, somebody, write in and let us know. Yeah, somebody in the audience, if you if you know how this should be pronounced, because I also see, so I can see it two ways. I can see they want to keep the the French pronunciation of Total Energies, but I can also see it being a play on their own name and it's Total Energies. Either yeah, way, I mean, kind of cool, right? And then of course they're sponsoring with one of our sponsors, Amazon. So Total, you're welcome for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost as bad as your other segues. Other segues. But when you read this article, there's a part of this that's that's actually very strategic that's going on. So even though we know Amazon well, and Amazon's one of our sponsors, we love them to death. I, did you know Amazon has an electrical distribution part of their business? Honestly, I'm not surprised. I mean, Jeff Bezos just went to space in a large phallic thing. Rocket. <laughs> So, okay. So there's a couple things going on here. So Total Energies and Amazon basically sign an agreement. And what Total is wanting from Amazon is help with their cloud services. And they also want to buy about 500 megawatts of renewable energy in the U.S. and here in Europe. And Amazon's going to supply that renewable energy. So Amazon, very interesting company. Jeff Bezos, regardless of what you think about him, is a genius. And what he's done is in the very beginning, he, he found a market that he could disrupt with technology, which is originally books, right? right? Totally disrupted that market, owned it, then started selling other stuff. And they had to invent a lot of technology to make it efficient because he had to compete against the Walmarts of the world, right? And that technology eventually got to a point where it stood on its own and they could sell the technology. That's Amazon Web Services. Right. Well, as the company grew, as Amazon grew, and as the company became more aware of their impact to the environment, they wanted to lessen their carbon footprint. And one of the ways they could do it is generate their own renewable electricity, just like they had to generate their own cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now they're doing so good on generating their own renewable electricity, they can now sell it to other people. I'm telling you people, maybe not in my lifetime, but somewhere in the future, you could be watching TV or virtual reality, and you could see people mining precious minerals in space, and those ships are going to say Halliburton and Amazon on it. I'm telling you, it's coming. That's crazy so, to so even think of. <laughs> so what's happening here is Total is now committing financially to buy power through Amazon because it's renewable. So now Total can also get those carbon credits for producing basically net carbon zero electricity. Now, there's another whole story about whether it's really net carbon zero or not. But the other thing that's going on is that Total is also relying on Amazon to help modernize their infrastructure through Amazon Web Services and Amazon Energy Services. So it's it's this is looking like two massive companies that truly are partnering together, each one doing something the other one isn't good at, but capitalizing on the other one's strengths. I really like this idea. And if you remember, Paige, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how Total Energies partnered with Uber. Yep. Right, right. So now you're starting to see how this master thing's starting to come together. So I will make a prediction here. Shell is going to be doing the same thing. So you Shell, think so? Well, Shell is already Shell already has has already purchased the largest hunk of electric vehicle recharging stations in Europe, and then they're building more, and they're coming to the U.S. and they're going to do the same thing. So I think at least these two companies, and probably BP as well, and probably Equinor as well, I think their future is 
is the infrastructure for EVs. And we talked about earlier about how like the convenience stores could change, experience could change because of timing and everything. But, you know, if you're thinking this far ahead, I just, I just think it's really cool. And I think we need more of this because that collaboration between Amazon, who's a tech company, and Total, who's basically a hydrocarbon company, is going to generate new ideas and new processes that normally neither one of them would have came up by themselves. And so I just think this is a wonderful thing. They're, they're catching some flack. Both companies are catching flack in social media because you know a whole bunch of people saying Total is destroying the planet. And a whole bunch of people say Amazon's only helping rich people. No, they, they both have shareholders. They both have to do the right things for their employees and their shareholders. But here's something that's true innovation that honestly will help the world. So, yes, expect to see more of this sort of stuff coming down the pipe. Okay, so it's TC Energy to switch to green power to run North American oil and gas pipelines. What do you think about that? So, you and I both know that part of this is PR, marketing spin. I also like this idea as well. So, and from a capital point of view, if somebody does the math, it probably could take a million years just to make sense. But for TC to start building wind generation and solar generation to power its pipeline infrastructure. I like the idea. One of the things that we saw come out of the Equinor North Sea experiment is they actually used wind power to run a drill ship. And I love that idea. Instead of running cables or diesel generators offshore, where then you have to run diesel fuel, which lessens, increase the chance of spillage on stuff. Yeah. Building a production platform and building the platform for a wind tower is not very different from each other. And so how cool is it if we can build a wind tower to run the drill ship, to run the platform? I think that's awesome. And here's what they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it in pipelines on land. It's going to be a really good experiment to see if the finances make sense. Because what's going to happen is they're going to get a lot of government subsidies, tax breaks, and everything for doing this. And also, Canada is coming down really hard on this whole carbon net zero thing. And so this is a way for TC Energy to get approval for expansions of their pipeline because they're running on renewable energies, which then helps them move hydrocarbons around, which then helps everybody. Right. So I like this idea. I am going to be very interested to see what the finances look like. I suspect that the finances either – don't make sense at all or it won't make sense for a very long period of time. But from a PR point of view, I think this is genius. All right. So last article, Holly Frontier pipeline unit to buy Sinclair oil and $2.6 billion deal. I'm going to cry. Why? So Sinclair oil is probably my, one of my favorite oil logos that has not changed oh, the, in yeah. a gazillion years. The dinosaur. Yeah. The green dinosaur. So unfortunately, I think the green dinosaurs actually going to go away. I think no. Yeah. And hopefully they'll keep it because it's such a, a well-recognized yes, symbol absolutely. In, in the industry. But basically, Holly Frontier is going to buy all of Sinclair Oil's refining capacity, their refineries. But they're not going to let them tap into their upstream part of the business. And so it's cash and shares. It's going to be new companies that we called Holly Energy Partners. That's why I think the dinosaurs could disappear because I'm not quite sure how they're going to keep the dinosaur, let's say name the dinosaur Holly, then it would make sense. Holly Energy Partners, they keep the dinosaur. But the pipeline and storage business is making money right now. The exploration reduction part of uh, Sinclair Oil and Gas is not part of the deal. The refineries are. And then the other thing that's happening here is there's a bit of a gamble around the renewable fuel standards, which we've talked about in past shows. But, but basically, it's the renewable fuel standards is a act here in the U.S. that requires refineries to buy a competing product, which is ethanol, which is really actually not as good for your car, and use it in their fuels. 
And so this is going to be interesting to see because they're one of the biggest they're one of the biggest fighters against the re- the reupping of the renewable fuel standards. And now that they're going to be a bigger company, they're going to carry more weight. But please, Holly Energy Partners, please, if there's some way you can keep that dinosaur's your logo, do it because it's it's a it's history. Well, Holly Energy Partners is their transportation business, but they created a new company called HF Sinclair Corp, which will replace, replace Holly, Holly Frontier in the public company gotcha. so, trading. So on- if they're keeping Sinclair in the name, maybe they will keep the dinosaur. I hope so. Hey, if anybody works for Sinclair, let us know. Because that really is one of my favorite oil and gas icons ever. I actually think I have a book somewhere where it's a children's book and it explains all of that and has the dinosaur and stuff on it. It's really neat. My other favorite is Esso, which is oh, what yeah. for Exxon. I actually have an Esso credit card from the 60s, 50s or 60s. When I was younger, I was into old Mustangs. And one of my old Mustangs I was restoring, we pulled the windows out of the doors. There was this credit card. It must have dropped down oh. in there and it's sitting there for 30 years that's cool yeah i wonder if i could still use it <laughs> i'm pretty it's sure it's so old it doesn't even have a magnetic strip okay yeah you are you just answered your own question well maybe <laughs> all right what does anybody want an ibm shirt hell yeah people want ibm shirts. <laughs> they're actually speaking of pirates we've several times had to fight off pirates trying to steal these ibm shirts so they're highly collectible they've been defended against pirates oh my god um they are unique they each have an individual so serial cool. number you can register each week and if you don't win one week you can register the next week go sign up they're cool shirts once you sign up for one not only do you get the shirt you get an ogg and tumblr too i don't think you? so i think so yeah so just swag 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 and it's cool swag all your friends will be jealous of even the pirates Speaking of swag and pirates, what's the recount doing? Okay, so the U.S. is at 488, so we're down three. Canada is up four with 153, and internationally we're up eight at 758. Can't ask for anything better, except for those numbers keep moving up. Yep. All right, speaking of stuff that doesn't get better, go to LinkedIn, search for OGGN. Someone help me. (laughs) Someone save me from these segues. And just sign up for stuff. Our street team, we're uh, look, we're in transition for a leader in our street team right now, which, by the way, if, if you would like to volunteer and lead our street team, let me know. Reach out to me personally. Same way with our, our LinkedIn group and our LinkedIn page. It's a place to find out all the cool stuff we're doing, like our monthly happy hours. We have one at the end of this month, and we have one at the end of every month out till, I think, March of 2022. Awesome. Um, yeah. And and by the way, people, we've moved locations. We're still in the Canon in Houston. But we're in Corva. A big shout out to them. Corva's has automated the drilling process like no company I've ever seen. So not only now are we doing these cool happy hours where you learn stuff and get the network, you're literally in the matrix of the oil and gas industry, in the room. They have all these monitors everywhere, all these cool displays, a lot of character, really smart people. You know, a big shout out to them for letting us use their their facilities because it's a different level of ambience and I love it. And also sign up for Mark's monthly events email. Yeah. It's actually not me. It's our team that puts it together. We take all the oil and gas events, put them in one place. Now that events are coming back, you probably should sign up for it. Yeah, I'll be at OTC and probably NAPE. That's coming up. Yeah, so if you're going to be at OTC or NAPE, uh, let us know. Hit me up on Twitter if you go. It's Mark underscore LaCour. I'd love to actually meet our listeners in person. Always love doing that. So if you go and let us know, we'll be there as press. And then finally, First Friday Q&A, you know the deal. Send your questions in. If we use your questions on the air, we give a big shout out. And just remember, the goal is not to make Paige and I look silly. The goal is to help educate. I can do that on my own. Thank you. (laughs) We both can do that on our own. All right. Ready? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for August 2021. 
This month we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Canon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.